Can you imagine what your life would be like without your family? Most all of us have family, uh, family that we are close to, family that we, uh, our, our lives are completely involved together with our family. Occasionally you hear someone who has no family at all, and that's really a sad thing, because families are important. Can you imagine your life without family? Or for that matter, can you ma- imagine your life without some of the other things that are so, sort of, you know, a focal point of, of what you do? Can you imagine life without work? Without your job, if you have a job. But some of our hardest workers here are our moms who stay at home, take care of family. But can you imagine you didn't have that focus? You, you, you didn't have anything to direct yourself toward work to do. Can you imagine if you didn't have a house, your life without a house? Can you imagine your life without a car? Would you want to go back to horse and buggies, for instance? Can you imagine your life without a car? Just think about all the things that you have and then try to imagine life without those things. If it does nothing else, it should make us very grateful when we consider all the blessings that we have that we wouldn't want to do without. What about life without God? Can you imagine your life if there was no God? That'd be, I think, quite obviously the hardest and most difficult thing of all, life without God. Unfortunately, there are a lot of people in this world who say there is no God. And if we can trust the statistics, their numbers are growing rather rapidly, even right here in our country, which has always been a country that nominally believed in God. Now there's an increasing, sort of rapidly increasing percentage of people who are saying that they don't believe in God. But that's not a new thing. That's always been around. For instance, the psalmist said about 3,000 years ago, in Psalm 14, verse 1, a fool says in his heart, there is no God. And so there have been plenty of people around for a long time saying that there is no God. But think about that. What would your life be like if there was no God? And that's what we want to talk about for a few minutes in our study together this morning. What my life would be like without God. Think about that and think about the directions that we might go in considering this idea. We'll get to that in just a moment. Thanks for being here this morning. We appreciate everyone so much for coming out to gather together for worship. We have visitors today and we're grateful for our visitors. And we want you to come back every time you have a chance. We know that these are rather difficult and challenging times because of this coronavirus issue that we've been dealing with now for so long, it seems like. Uh, and we've received news in recent days of, of some friends and dear loved ones who are badly affected with the virus. And so it's just a scary time, but we're glad that we still have the opportunity to come together and be together to worship God, pray his blessings on our assembly today. Thanks for being here. What would my life be like without God? Well, the first consideration I'd like to put on the screen is that I would not have a meaningful explanation for why we're even here. Why is there something here instead of nothing? If there is no God, what about the physical universe? How does it exist? This is one of the most basic questions, of course. And scientists are constantly searching for answers to the origin of the physical universe. And so they aim their high-powered telescopes way off into the distant galaxies 
They send spacecraft off into space searching for how did we get to be here? How, how, how does this whole system exist in this very basic fundamental way? Where did the physical universe come from? Well, you know, of course, that they have cooked up the theory of the Big Bang. The Big Bang theory is an explanation that has been offered. It's incredible that thinking people could even come to this conclusion, but they have said that at some time in the very, very, very distant past, everything that now exists in the universe was in a single point source. I mean, smaller than the head of a pin, everything was together, it it was very hot and dense and it exploded, the Big Bang. And everything went hurtling out from the central explosion of the Big Bang. Of course, initially it was incredibly hot and moving tremendously fast. But after some time, things began to slow down, cool off, and it began to form the, the matter that we see in our universe today. The Big Bang Theory. Now think about that. The Big Bang, they, when they try to put a date on that, they're a, little bit, they're a little bit vague about when the Big Bang happened, but most common you will hear that the Big Bang happened about 20 billion years ago. Or something on that nature, which is a time frame so large that nobody can even adequately comprehend it. But think about that. Even the scientists are saying there had to have been a beginning, right? The Big Bang was the beginning to them. But they haven't really answered the question, even if the Big Bang occurred, and I think it's a crazy notion at its very base, but even if the Big Bang occurred, where did all of that that was in that single point source that exploded, where did that come from? You still haven't got the answer right. Without God, there's not an answer to the question, how do we even get to be here? How does this physical universe exist The Hebrew writer used an illustration uh, and made a simple argument that actually definitely argues for the existence of God. In Hebrews chapter 3 verse 4, it says, Every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. If you're driving down the road and you see a house, maybe it's a road that you haven't traveled any time recently, but you know this stretch of road. And since the last time that you went down this stretch of road, there's a house there on a pretty little hillside. Someone has built a nice new home. What do you think when you see that? Well, you you don't think that it just appeared on its own. It just showed up. The question you ask is, I wonder who built that house? Because every house is built by some man, right? We all know that. And the Hebrew writer says, the one who made everything. With that idea in mind, everything had to be made by somebody. The one who made all things is God. Uh, This is what we're saying, that God is the cause of all things, and without him we have no explanation. God is that uncaused first cause that brought everything into existence. The Bible starts out in Genesis 1 verse 1, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. We have an answer. The atheists, those who deny God, they can't even explain how we got here, much less why we're here, but they can't even explain how things got here. We have that answer because we believe in God. We believe that we have the answer to the uncaused first cause. In the text that Tyler read earlier from Romans chapter 1, 
verse 20. It says, Since the creation of the world is invisible attributes, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. If you can look at all that's been created and then deny that there's a God, that's inexcusable. Really, in, there, there's no explanation without God. And so, if you take God out of the picture, what would I have? I, I wouldn't even know how things came into existence. Furthermore, without God, I would be relegated to a life that is ruled by survival of the fittest. Have you, I know that you have. You've watched those nature shows, haven't you? You've seen, you've seen those videos. I often wonder, how do those guys get those pictures? You know? How do they get those, all those pictures of those wild animals in their natural habitat? It's pretty incredible. I mean, there's some amazing photography that takes place and videos. You've seen, for instance, on those nature shows, a lion taking down a helpless antelope. You've seen it. It's kind of gross, isn't it? when you watch that lion taking down that antelope. Uh, But that's the way it is in nature, right? The strongest survives. That's the way it is in nature. The lion is stronger than the antelope. He takes him down. But you know, even that lion, uh, the lion reigns over his domain until he becomes old and weak and another lion stronger than him shows up And the new lion overtakes the old lion and kills him. So what you got in nature, of course, is this process of surviving. The the fittest survives and moves on. Without God, we would be in that same category, wouldn't we? Without God, we would be relegated to a life in the survival of the fittest. And everything would be all right until someone bigger and meaner than you comes along and decides he's going to take what you have and kill you, and maybe eat you. Survival of the fittest. I mean, without God, that's the kind of life we could expect. Thankfully, the reality of God gives us an existence that elevates us to a higher plane than that. It doesn't have to be like that. It's it's not kill or be killed. Rather, we can live a life of mutual love and concern and kindness. In Matthew chapter 22... Beginning verse 35, one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you, must love, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like to it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Think about that. Uh, this comes from God. Uh, this moral aspect of life caring for one another, loving your neighbor. That can't be explained if there is no God. Several years ago, we had the famous atheist Dan Barker on the virtual Bible study, and we posed this very question to him. Why do we care for our elderly? Why do we take care of our sick and our infirm? Even when a newborn baby is, it comes, but he has some challenge, health challenges, maybe some physical issues. Why do we take care of these animals don't take care of these well he didn't have an answer to that because there is no answer without god Uh, why we don't just live this kind of survival of the fittest lifestyle there's no answer to that without god in matthew 7 verse 12 you know very well the so-called golden rule therefore all things whatsoever you would that men should do to you do you even so to them 
I'll tell you, that notion did not come from evolution. That concept of doing good to others, that didn't come through evolution. How do you explain that without God? Without God, though, that's what our lives would be like. We'd be relegated to a life ruled by survival of the fittest. Without God, taking that just sort of a step further, we wouldn't have any fixed standard of moral behavior. I like your car better than mine. I'm going to take your car. Uh, Why not? Why shouldn't I? I like your house better than my house. I'm just going to take your house. Why not? You made me mad. I'm going to kill you. Why not? Why not? If there is no God, then there's no real basis of morality. Why wouldn't I do that sort of thing? Without God, there's no basis of rules to be lived by. You know, ultimately, that is the reason why so many people want to reject the concept of God because they don't want rules. They want to live free from rules. Recently, I came across a blog, uh, and we used this a couple of weeks ago in the virtual Bible study. The guy had written five reasons not to believe in God. That's what this blogger wrote. And one of his points was no rules. Here's, here's what he said. Religion is about control and limitation. Rules, laws, rituals that restrict and govern behavior. A life without religion and without God thus offers freedom from all these miseries. It offers a person the opportunity to do what they like. Each decision to be taken is evaluated on its own merits. I'm not forced down a path by pre-existing code of conduct. Life is better without God, he says. Well, you see it? You see what he's saying? He wants no rules. He doesn't want to be inhibited to live by a set of rules. But you stop to think about that. That's a scary proposition. If there are no rules, we're in trouble because society will collapse. This this way of thinking has been around for a long time, though. Again, I, I, I want you to know that. These people who reject God and reject the rules that God has for our lives, they've been around for a while. Go back to Psalms. Again, remember, the Psalms were written approximately, if you want to just get an approximate time, the Psalms were written about 3,000 years ago. And about 3,000 years ago, notice this concept. The wicked in the haughtiness of his countenance does not seek him. All his thoughts are, there is no God. Oh, wait a minute, that sounds like today, doesn't it? So the wicked person says there is no God. And then he goes on to say, I will, I will not be moved. Throughout all generations, I will not be in adversity. His mouth is full of curses and deceit and oppression. Under his tongue is mischief and wickedness. He sits in the lurking places of the villages. In the hiding places, he kills the innocent. His eyes stealthily watch for the unfortunate. He lurks in the hiding places, a lion in his lair. He lurks to catch the afflicted. He catches the afflicted when he draws him into his net. He crouches, he bows down, and the unfortunate fall by his mighty ones. You see that? Isn't that a description of what we were just saying? The guy who says there is no God is not bound by any moral code, right? And so he takes advantage of everyone that he can. People have been thinking that way for a long time. We can be grateful that overall society has been positively influenced by 
God's rules. But the more and more people come to deny God, the more and more likely we are to live in a world with no fixed standard of moral conduct. And that's a scary proposition. We need that. Let me give you a specific. And I want, I want to offer this specific along the lines of saying these rules and laws that God gives are always designed with our best interest at heart. If I lived in a world without God, then I would have no basis for secure family relationships. This, as we said, is a more specific example, a specific example of the kind of blessings we have because there is a God and He has given us rules. We are all, I think, aware of the very sad disintegration of the family unit in our society. And statistically, we see that there's a scary increasing number percentage-wise of children who have no involvement with their fathers. Kids growing up without a dad. And that is having a devastating effect on our culture in general, but on the lives of those people specifically leading to all kinds of problems. Well, what's God's plan? God's plan is that he gives us rules that establish a way to have stable family relationships. Ephesians 5, beginning verse 33, says, Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment of promise, that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. You know that text, don't you? God's rules for our family. This is just one example of how His rules are made for our good. It's always the case with God. He didn't give us rules to live by just so He could be mean and test us and see if He could look for a chance to condemn us and send us to hell. No, He gave us His rules and guidance for our good. But without Him, we're deprived of all that. We're deprived, for instance, of the opportunity to have secure family relationships and everything else that goes with the good rules that he's made for us to live by. Finally, let me suggest to you that my life without God would mean that I'd have no hope of anything beyond this life. When you, when you boil it all down, this is, I think, probably the saddest thing of all. Life without God means this is all there is. Life is not perfect, is it? I think all of us would acknowledge that life is not perfect. Into every life comes some sadness, some heartache, some disappointment. That's life. That's life in this present world. We understand that to be the case. And therefore, if this is all there is, and this life is not perfect by any stretch, if this is all there is, this is not really good. That's a very depressing concept. King Solomon, when he wrote the book of Ecclesiastes, was dealing with some of those thoughts. As we've studied the book of Ecclesiastes, we know that Solomon sort of flip-flopped between viewing life with God in the picture to viewing life with no God in the picture. And here's one of those sections in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 where Solomon was describing life with no concept of God under consideration. Notice what he said, Ecclesiastes 3, beginning verse 19. For what happens to the children of man and what happens to the beast is the same. 
As one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath. And a man has no advantage over the beast, for all is vanity. All go to one place. All are from dust, and to dust all return. Who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward and the spirit of the beast goes down to the earth. So this is one of those sections where Solomon, in his depressed state of mind, was describing things without God in the picture. And it's a pretty dark picture, isn't it? We're just like the animals of the field. An animal dies and he just returns to the dust. And that's what happens to us. Who can know, he said, whether there is a spirit of man that goes upward while the spirit of a beast goes down. He's, he, in this section of the book, he's saying, I don't, I don't even know if there's an answer to that question. Of course, there is an answer to that question. But here Solomon is describing the sad scene of a, of a life where there is no God. And this is it. When you die, you're dead. It's all over. That is a very depressing thing. Without God, that's the way it is. We die and it is all over. But thankfully, we have hope. That is not the case. What we were just describing is not true. Solomon was in that particular section of Ecclesiastes while well, he speaking of no God. He was wrong. Thankfully, he was wrong. We have hope. In Hebrews chapter 6, verse 18, the hope set before us, this hope we have as an anchor of the soul, a hope both sure and steadfast, an anchor for the soul. That's what we need, isn't it? Something to give meaning to this life, to this existence. And with God, we have that. And we have that hope. Well, you could probably expand this list. But by all analysis, a life without God is a very, very sad, depressing, and even scary proposition. Without God, life is... Not life at all, is it? We need God in our lives. And so we conclude our lesson by asking, do you have God in your life? And, and is he a, a, a principal governing part of your life? He needs to be. And if that's not the case, then we beg you to make whatever change needs to be made. If it means that you first need to become a Christian and devote yourself to God, we hope you'll do that. Through studying His Word, we learn, we learn what He wants us to do, to be saved from our past sins and to become His child. Hear the truth. Believe it. Repent of your sins. Confess your faith in Jesus. Be baptized for the remission of sins. If you've not done that, we hope you'll make that decision, that, that you'll make God the central focus of your life. If you're a Christian already, but you slip back, and, that has not, and, and, and you've not been pursuing that agenda faithfully, We hope you come back to him in repentance, confession, and prayer. If we can help, let us know while we stand and sing this song.